Last week it started out, I was wrong. This week we'll begin with, whoops, we forgot to add that. To our votes of confidence Friday in the fast lane because nobody cares that in my mind, I had JMU destroying Georgia Southern, or at least covering the six-point spread at the end of that game. It's more the fact that we failed to omit it. And we've gotten feedback enough on that, Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that no, we can't get to all the feedback all the time, but if there's enough out there that it's at least worth discussing. Now, full disclosure, we're probably less likely to talk JMU athletics uh, when it comes to non-football sports, the same way that we do Virginia Tech and UVA and uh, you know others, but... Clearly, there's a market for it. You've spoken, so it's worth addressing the fact that they had an extremely impressive victory against Georgia Southern, who entered that game on Saturday at 4-1. and one. Sold out, whiteout effect for JMU, and give them a lot of credit. You know, I, I was listening to and following this game after running the Salem 8K portion of the Salem Half Marathon and Virginia's Blue Ridge 8K. Great event. Really neat. Uh, hillier course than I expected, for sure, even for the 8K portion of it. Uh, and, you know, I- I'll take it. My body's all over the place right now, so is my mind in the middle of football season. But uh, you get a chance to go to a cool event like that. People in that area really embraced people like me from not from that area. So that was a lot of fun. Then, afterwards, on the way down to Blacksburg, after showering up, um, you know, you get down there and you're listening to the JMU game. And I was impressed with not just the fact that they beat Georgia Southern, but as you go further into the season, you want to see a team get better. And touchdown, forced punt, another touchdown, just like that, it was 14 nothing. And to me, that was the most impressive part about this because it's another marquee opponent where the matchup clearly favored JMU in terms of their ability to win in the trenches. They've gotten great play from McLeod at quarterback who came in starting in that Virginia game but has really played well since then for the majority of those games. And they were able to jump out in front and keep that level of intensity. And to his credit, Kurt Signetti, speaking afterwards, said those were part of the things that impressed him with the first quarter. I think we, uh, you know, everybody prepares. I think we do a pretty good job of preparation. Our team comes out ready to play. And uh, we've been really good in the first quarter. We've been outscoring people 58-7 to seven coming into this game in the first quarter. So, uh, you know, it was another good start. What I was really happy about today was we con- converted some third downs and fourth downs because we've been sort of struggling there lately. Converting third downs, converting fourth downs. What that adds into is the fact that Jordan McLeod, who's been really good this year, 14-3 to touchdown to interception ratio and has the ability to make some plays with his legs, although he's clearly been more dynamic passing. But he's getting better, which means you've got more options and he can do more so that when first or second down don't produce first downs and move the chains, they've actually got something else to go off of. So you jump out to a 14-0 lead, and to their ever-loving credit, you know, JMU, who's 6-0 now on the year, they've got a lot of impressive victories. Uh, As one of the top teams in the Commonwealth of Virginia should do, they kept their foot on the accelerator coming out of halftime and put this game away. It was a great atmosphere. I thought our fans were loud. Uh, We took it to them in the third quarter, which was something we needed to do. So we overcame that obstacle and, uh, you know, get to enjoy it for a little bit tonight. Kept their foot on the accelerator in the third quarter. Did JMU. 21 to nothing. They outscored Georgia Southern and took a 20-6 game and made it 41-6 before a late Georgia Southern touchdown in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, gave them a little bit more of a cosmetically less damaging loss. But for for JMU, 
the reality is they're getting better over the course of this season. And there's a micro picture and a macro picture. And the micro picture is this. It's their most complete game at a time when they need it. Now they're stacking wins. It's not for bowl eligibility because that's obviously ridiculous that they can't play in a bowl. And the NCAA isn't changing it. And shame on JMU for not saying to hell with this. We're just going to continue to do this because who respects what the NCAA has to say about these things when if you challenge it in court, you'll probably win. Um, But JMU, it was their most complete game. Glad we were able to play these guys at home. Probably our most complete game up to this point. Um, we still left plays out there. Uh, you know, you saw the ones we did, most of them. Uh, but it's a good win. It is a good win for JMU. And it gives them some momentum, which they need because they've got a quick turnaround on the road at Marshall this coming Thursday. They're about a three, three and a half point favorite for those that are looking for some kind of measuring stick for the Thursday night game. But it brings up a couple of questions. One, should they be getting votes in the AP Top 25? They are, they should, they're 6-0, and and I'd say Trey right up there with Air Force right now as the two best teams in group of five football in terms of undefeated teams, teams that are taking care of opponents, and I think you can make a very compelling case JMU is ahead of Air Force even in that regard, given how Air Force struggled with, albeit I understand this, Wyoming this past Saturday. Yeah, and I'll throw Tulane in there even though they're 5-1, and one, but their loss is to Ole Miss in a game where Michael Pratt, who is... Maybe the best group of five quarterback wasn't playing. Um, Can I interject one more on that loss as well? Tulane was in that game against Ole Miss until the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, they had their back. So I would throw Tulane in there as well because, you know, obviously they were the group of five representative last year. Um, But, yeah, I I think it's those three. Um, And I'm not trying here to, uh, you know, bash, you know, we're not here to offend Liberty fans, even though they're also 5-0. But the problem is they play in the CUSA. And it's just, that's just a lower tier league and it's kind of hard. So Trey, it goes to a question and in a perfect world, these teams could just meet up in a bowl game or actually in a real perfect world, the Sun Belt would have accepted Liberty as opposed to keeping them out of that conference. And we'd have an even more regionally strong conference than that conference already has. Which is really good. It is very regionally strong with Charlotte, with JMU, with Marshall, with Old Dominion. But I mean, let's be honest, for competitive balance sake, Liberty would bring more than Old Dominion or pra- practically anyone else other than JMU to the Sun Belt Conference. So I-, I get that and the logic behind it, but the reality is is Liberty's not in that conference. So there's a level of eye test, and there's a level of maybe they meet in postseason play at some point in the future because this year, unfortunately, they can't unless there are not enough teams to fill bowl games, and then JMU gets into a bowl that way it's the dumbest system in the world uh i don't think people say we don't need to rehash it i have no problem continuing to just bash the living heck out of this because i bash a lot of the absurdity of the ncaa and the father's nose best mindset that they tend to have in an era where you're all dealing with grown-ups but yet they want to still act like they're dealing with their little children out there and that that's what's absurd but anyway from an eye test standpoint i actually think you can make a case that liberty has looked more dominant and impressive in their victories Jacksonville State most recently, FIU, Liberty took care of that 38-6. They looked great at Buffalo. They have an explosive offense. They can play ball control when they want to, and they have a defense that has started to come around. But here's where JMU wins, and I do think it's justified that JMU's ahead of Liberty. You hit the nail on the head, Trey. It's the schedule. JMU's got the road game at Virginia. It's a low-level Power 5 team. They're obviously not very good at 1-5, the Virginia Cavaliers. But they've got that win. They had to go on the road three straight times afterwards. And, of course, when we're talking about a 6-0 JMU team, they obviously won those games. But they won at Troy. 
They had Utah State with uh, obviously the altitude jump. And then even since then, JMU coming back home and getting impressive victories against South Alabama. They're the team that knocked off Oklahoma State earlier in the year. And Oklahoma State's looking like a bowl team. And then knocking off Georgia Southern in dominant fashion. I mean, that's where the overall volume of data points really stack up in favor of a team like JMU. Yeah, uh, I think it's their dominance more than anything. I think Air Force is... It's hard to judge a dominance by Air Force because they run the triple option, so you can't really see... You don't typically see lopsided scores. Um, But, you know, they're fundamentally sound, and and you only can play who you play. So, uh, yeah, I I think that was a really good summarization of of comparing those two two teams. Um, I, I think we'll see, you know... You know, you could argue like Troy is a really good team, and you know, JMU beat them. And you know, I I think JMU is pro- probably going to year in the year undefeated. And I just because the style play Air Force plays, I would I don't expect Air Force to end the year undefeated. So, uh, but we'll see. Um, unfortunately for JMU, uh, you know, unless there's some magical appeal like Tez Walker happens. Um, I think uh, they're going to be an undefeated team that's not going to be ranked by the college football playoff committee because they're ineligible to, and it's dumb. Well, and, it, but it's going to be interesting to see them next year, like uh, how how they how they come out next year because it'll be their third year, and it'll be interesting to see. Well, not only that, because the reality is, is and JMU's a really good team. I don't think they have quite the level of Liberty University in terms of the money for NIL. And we've seen this before with JMU losing a couple of players to places like LSU and Texas. But that roster will get poached during the offseason. And that's the reality of what JMU has. And can they do what Liberty's done very well, what other programs have, which is get the Power 5 bounce back players? There are a lot of those that are out there, including plenty from the Commonwealth of Virginia that will go to a school like a Penn State or an Ohio State or a Michigan or wherever, or even Tech or UVA, and they just want to get out, and they bounce back in JMU. That's what they need to do effectively, which is going to really be the telltale sign of what they can do to grow that program growing forward. Much like what you can do to grow your health is to go to InsaneRadioDeals.com because if you want to get a Crosswide Athletic Club membership, you not only can get a great deal on an individual couple or family membership at InsaneRadioDeals.com, but you get a $50 gift card to Fleet Feet Roanoke with the purchase of any of those memberships. And sign up for the Star City App Marathon or 10K about a month from now in Roanoke. Join me for running that event. You too can get a $50 gift card to Fleet Feet Roanoke when you sign up at InsaneRadioDeals.com. Now, time for other topics in, not the Fast Five at Five-ish, but in what he said and what he meant deciphering the Virginia Tech victory over Wake Forest. Nothing beats an insightful press conference. I think I realized we got a long way to go. You know, uh, we definitely did some good things, and we did some things that we, we want to take back. We left some yards and some points out there on the field. But for the first time coming out uh, and to get a dub is really a blessing, and we were just happy to have that. That's why you need so-called experts to decipher what's really being said. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. It's right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. 
It's time for What He Said and What He Meant. True insight into all the cliches and coach speak. So why was that the Virginia Tech game against Wake Forest, as mentioned earlier? And that is one of the uh, benefits of going to a game is certainly it never disappoints with Inner Sandman and uh, the whole lead up and build up to that in Blacksburg. And, you know, you're blessed to be able to see that. And it's awesome. Uh, but Virginia Tech, this is the type of game where, you know, I said it in our votes of confidence on Friday and we'll rehash that tomorrow. It, it, Trey and I will get a chance to go through those. Uh, Ty and you. I won't be here. Ty and I will get a chance to go through what Trey did. Correct. Thank you, Trey. Um, unless you can telepathically be here, and that would be a little weird. Mm-hmm. But Virginia Tech got that victory. And here's the thing. Virginia Tech gets a score. It's 10-7. to 7. Excuse me. 10-3. to 3. They give yep. up the touchdown. Return touchdown. Return touchdown. They make, excuse me, they get a score, 10 nothing. Then a kick return touchdown for Wake Forest. All of a sudden, it felt like a close game. 10-7. 10-7. And then this, which I think is a defining play on a number of levels, but it showed that Virginia Tech could quickly respond to adversity. First down and 10 now for the Hokies. First down, Drones, a quick slant over the middle. Fires, <laughs> and it's caught in stride by Wright, by Lane. Lane to the 50, down the left sideline, 40, 30, 20, and he will score. Big time player right there, Billy. Coming the favorite target, nothing fancy. Takes about a five yard thing, slants to the middle, breaks through the safeties, and there was no touching him as he takes that one to the house. I love that from Mike Burnup, as you heard on the Virginia Tech Radio Network right here on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. The woohoo! as Jalen Lane caught that ball in strike, because his breakaway speed has given Virginia Tech a different level and a different dimension. Timeout, Ed. Timeout, timeout. Previous plays under review. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a votes of confidence topic, by the way, tomorrow, because it, it is ridiculous. There was eight. Not votes of confidence tomorrow. Excuse me. A fast five at five-ish conversation coming on that. Eight different reviews in that game. Sorry, I had to get that joke in there. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I'm really going to bite my tongue here. I'm biting my tongue here. You sound like you want to opine on that for a second. I just, there were, I guess the ACC uh, replay officials were needing to, you know, get some reps in, and they picked that game to do it because I don't think there's many reviews in any other ACC games last night. Like, Trey, it might, Saturday. It, we might be at that time of year where, you know, the officials have not seen their families nearly enough, and so they need some good TV time to, uh, to make it happen. But no, that touchdown to Jalen Lane which all of a sudden made it a 17-7 game. It's changing the complexion of Virginia Tech for this simple reason. So often when they've had adversity hit, they haven't shown the ability to weather the storm. And it wasn't pretty. Things are not going to come easy. I'm still convinced for Virginia Tech that as impressive as they were, over 450 yards of total offense, including over 300 in the air for Kyron Drones, which is his most complete performance, managing the game, making plays, completing two-thirds of his passes, all that. In spite of that... Virginia Tech has really shown that when adversity hits, they've struggled to respond. And oftentimes, it's self-inflicted adversity. Well, bad coverage on a, punt, a kickoff return, and they haven't had a lot of them because Lowe has driven a lot of them through the end zone for touchbacks this year. But Tyler Bowen, to his credit, spoke afterwards on what that touchdown said about his offense and their ability to be resilient in the face of adversity, something that has eluded them for much of the year. Huge. And we've got some field position there on some of those. we still got to do a better job of capitalizing. Um, but that, that was a huge part of the game. When we had good field position, I felt like we were able to put together efficient drives and, 
and finish with points. We just got to be better in the red zone in general and better on third down. You know what else was huge? They get that kickoff back in the next play. How right. many times have we seen that happen? The next play, 75 yards to Jalen Lane. What a great call and execution that was. Oh, the great execution by the guys. That was actually something we adjusted to. It's up. It's one of our bread and butters, but it wasn't something that we carried into the game plan, kind of looking at how they were uh, attacking us from a run standpoint, and those guys did a great job. Kyron put it on the money, and Jalen Lane took it the rest of the way, and, and he's, he's been a, a huge plus for us. That's Tyler Bowen speaking with Mike Burnup on the Virginia Tech Radio Network, as you hear on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. But it's about responding to adversity, and it's about Tyler Bowen. And he didn't say this, but it's absolutely worth mentioning. Justifiably, Trey, he's been criticized a lot for an offense that hadn't gelled, where it didn't seem like the right players were playing when Grant Wells was at quarterback and they couldn't get anything going offensively. From my perspective, Trey, watching it in the press box, I don't know how you felt listening on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and watching it on TV when those times arose on Saturday, but it did not seem like this was the most well-rounded game that Tyler Bowen has called, and where if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you need more of this to feel like he's actually the coordinator going forward, but now you can at least say, oh, I see what works and what makes sense, and it may not make sense against really good teams, Florida State, or even other teams that you should beat, Rutgers perhaps, certainly Purdue and Marshall fit that description, but against teams like Wake Forest, vulnerable, clearly not what they are in their peak years under Dave Clawson, that this was the type of game plan where you go, okay. It was a good defense, though, they played against. Wake's defense has been really good this year. It, 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 they have. And Virginia Tech kept being aggressive and kept being creative, and they responded. And, Trey, we vilified them a lot, and I don't think it's been unjust, but when credit's due, give them credit, and I don't think it's beneath us either to say that this is the best game Tyler Bowen has called as an offensive coordinator, even continuing, even including the pit game, because pit game had a lot of big plays. This was just good offensive execution all the way around. Yeah, and this is this is weird to say, but you could argue Virginia Tech is like what three and one in their games that they were healthy this year, like fully healthy. Like it, it, it was unfortunate during the non-con stretch they were they were very banged up at key positions and. I think one thing for Tyler Bowen to give, and I'm not trying to make an excuse here, but like, I think he's finally fully adjusted to running an offense without his number one weapon, which is Ollie Jennings. Um, Jalen Lane has now become the number one wide receiver, and he's proven it. Like he's been incredible, and we'll see what happens next year with Ollie Jennings. Does he come back, and does he play next year? We'll we'll see about that. But uh, you know, Jalen Lane being a key piece, and and the team, you know. They're still thin in offensive line, but the offensive line has played better. I think I think the the things we wanted to see this year and was improvement more than a record. And the thing is, ever they've turned a corner since the Marshall game, where they kind of in that second half against Marshall they started to figure things out offensively. They just kind of dug themselves too much of a hole, and they couldn't get out of it. They figured it out against Pitt. They had moments against Florida State, and just I think on that day. It was not Tech played bad. It was just Florida State is one of the best teams in the country. Um, and then against Wake, uh, uh, you know, a game you can win, a game that you, if you're going to make a bowl game, which I would assume is this team's goal, you have to win. And it's at home. It's homecoming. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Brett Freelander said it yesterday, just win your home games and you're bowl eligible at this point, which that's what they did. They executed flawlessly. They dominated that football game. And they slowed down a difficult offense to manage while executing pretty well offensively. 
So I think they can build a lot on it as their schedule is, again, as I've said the last couple weeks, is really easy down the back half of the season because the bottom of the ACC is just it's just bad this year, frankly. I mean, Syracuse, I mean, I'm you and I might be suiting up for Syracuse soon way they're dealing with injuries. Um, so we'll see in uh, that game, you know, next Thursday right here on the Virginia Talk Radio Network, like what I did there. Um, and I, I think personally, like, I think they'll make a bowl game. They'll be either six or six or seven and five, given the schedule they have left. I think that's very reasonable to expect them to get to that point. Eight but we've four, seen the improvement we needed at this point, right? Yeah, 100%. There have been tangible signs of improvement, Trey. A quarterback with Kyron Drones, he completed 60% of his passes, and it wasn't like, you know, 9 of 12 or 9 but, of 15. He, he he attempted 30 passes, completed 21 of them. Which, this is not the first coaching staff to pick, I don't want to say the incumbent starter, and then eventually, you know, not even the first Virginia Tech coaching staff to go start with the incumbent starter, and then, you know, either an injury or just bad play leads to a switch, and then you find the right person. Like, this was the plan all along to have drones as their quarterback. It's just, you know, some people are the best practice players, i.e. Hinden Hooker. <laughs> like, there's a reason why he lost the starting job twice in the offseason and then got it back as the game went on, both here and at Tennessee. Um or they're just, you know, there's a lot of reasons why a quarterback could get chosen over another. But the circumstances dictated that, you know, Drones came in and he fits where the offense needs to be. And I think they finally, you know, got stability at quarterback. And it it makes your job as an offensive coordinator a lot easier. I think Grant Wells has not provided Tyler Bowen. You know, I don't know if he's done a – Bowen's done – did Wells any favors, but Wells never provided the stability he needed to kind of fully execute. Drones has done that, and you have to give him a lot of credit. No doubt. I mean, Drones has brought that to Virginia Tech, and this is an offense that now has started to find its groove in a defense that really has started to play better as well. They're getting production. You know, walking out on the field before the game and just kind of looking at the size of Virginia Tech, they look bigger than they were last year in terms of guys that are taller, longer, have room to grow. They, they look like the type of players that have room to add some more muscle over time, but you know, I looked at that roster. I'm like, okay, now I can see now if this roster is playing at its best that they can be a higher upside roster than the other teams in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Having seen Liberty in person, having seen JMU in person, they were at Virginia, and of course, having seen the Cavaliers as well. This roster looks like it, but the pieces didn't look like they had fit well together. It looks like that is starting and, to change. And something else you can look at for this coaching staff is, I would argue that the guys they scouted, which is the freshmen and the transfer guys, like mostly, you look at those, they've pretty much all been hits or you've seen the flashes. It's hard to tell with freshmen because they're freshmen, but the transfer guys, Drones has been a hit, you know, Tootin's been a really big hit, Jalen Lane's been a hit. I mean, for the five, the two games, we one and a half games we saw Ollie Jennings, he was a hit. So I, I think you look at it, this team appears to have a really good evaluation skill. And that, for a type of program that Virginia Tech wants to be, is maybe the best skill the coaching staff can have. Because if they can evaluate players well, then that's going to be a really big thing if you want to develop a program. No doubt it is. More on program development uh, later, maybe today. Maybe it's uh, that's obviously an off-season topic as well that we can just file away in the back of our mind. Because when we return, we'll talk some Hokies, but not after the Virginia Cavaliers. What impressed from the blue-white scrimmage this past Saturday for men's basketball? 
Jerry Ratcliffe.com will answer that question for us next on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.